Do we in America treat athletes like shit? Coach and I are back this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. This is the Iceman Matt Freights. That is the coach, Brad Powell. You can probably notice that uh, something's a little bit different over here. But, Coach, welcome to the show, my man. How you doing? Iceman, uh, doing great. Uh, back from a little trip to Milwaukee with family. You're on the road now, which is nice. You can probably fill us in a little bit about your surroundings and what you're up to. Uh, glad to be back in the saddle. And I tell you what, man, I'm really getting excited. We got about a month to go here, and we're going to be right into the thick of football season. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to it just because, I mean, this has been a lot of fun. We've we've really gone all over the place uh, through sports content and sports stories, which is what we're all about here. But I think you would agree that football is it's kind of our wheelhouse, right? I mean, football is probably sports content's wheelhouse, if we're all being honest with ourselves. And we have weathered the storm pretty well. If you think about it, just for the, the viewers and the listeners edification, we did a Super Bowl live show, what the Super Bowl was, February 8th, something like that. It was early February. And at that time for this channel, I believe we had six or seven subscribers, but we did a live show anyway. And I think, and I don't know if you agree with this, we're peeking behind the curtain here in terms of the show. I think that that was a moment for me where I realized that you and I had much more potential. And we changed a few things about the show in terms of the audio. We stopped putting music behind it. We started putting a little bit more of an emphasis on YouTube. And since then, I think we've seen some pretty decent growth in that time period. And we've really honed ourselves in terms of our skills and what we want this show to be. And I think that we have done that through the lull period in sports after football has ended, where there's really not as much. If you're not an NBA show or you're not an NHL show, it's pretty difficult to find content all the time. And we managed to do that and do it well. And I'm really excited for football season because I think all this growth that we have experienced and all of the experience that we have now is going to lead to a really great product. And I'm really excited for the the listeners and the viewers. Yeah, well, let's let's cut to the chase here real quick. Um, we're, we're an MLS show, right? I 100%. think that we all know that um, MLS, all things football um, and Sooner softball. I was going to say you have to include our our friends from Oklahoma because Boomer, they are 60 and two now or whatever the record is. And we are that kind of a show. Lionel Messi coming from the Premier League where he never stepped foot on the pitch for any Premier League team. But you are the preeminent Messi scholar. And it's just sad that our viewers and listeners didn't get that last time. So let me let me ask you a question, okay? The guy is the best soccer player in the world. I know that much, at least. He's not playing in the best league in the world. That's where I guess I'm... And maybe that's debatable, uh, the, what the best league in the world is. I don't know. But to, to my... I guess, very limited soccer knowledge. Uh, my understanding is it's the best league in the world or one of them. And so I guess I just made a, a big time assumption. But hey, you know what happens when you assume, right? Yeah, you make an ass out of us in the show. And we did that in spades to the tune of 20 new subscribers. So thank you to everybody who subscribed after listening to our bullshit last week. But I will say that one of the things about international football that makes it confusing, I think, for Americans is the fact that there are a lot of leagues and people like yourself who maybe don't follow in the way that some of the diehards do don't know the difference between these leagues and how many of the good leagues there are. And for Messi, he played in Barcelona for his entire career until he played for PSG. And his rival, Cristiano Ronaldo, played, in Real, played on Real Madrid, and they played each other a lot. 
So it didn't matter what else happened in that league. Those two guys played a lot. And, you know, the structure of how international football and Premier League and Champions League and all that, the guys from Tallboy Radio could explain that to us a lot better. And who knows, maybe we have to come on here and show our ignorance and or our expertise in the great, beautiful game, as it's called to our boys from the north. It's uh, that's what we do best, though, right? I think that if you're coming here uh, regularly, you understand that you're going to get just sort of, uh, I think what we like, you know, the average Joe's opinion on sports, we're not. We're going to throw out some stats once in a while. They may or may not be correct. Um, we're going to throw out names once in a while. They may or may not be correct. Uh, but that's that's kind of the beauty of this and what we do. Um, we're here to talk to, you know, if you are a sports nerd and are very uh, serious about all the little nuances of every sport and the statistics, uh, this show's not for you. That's just the truth. So, But if you are just enjoy dudes talking about sports and sports stories, th- this is it, man. I think we do it about as well as anybody, and our growth shows that. Here's the thing. You and I are both dads, and Father's Day happened in the time that we last recorded, and being a father is about imperfection, right? We fathers don't get everything right. I know I said this on Father's Day, and I said this since then, but when I had my son, the first time I held him, the first thing I said to him, obviously he has no idea what I'm saying, was I'm going to do the best that I can. And that's what we do here. We do the best that we can. We don't know everything. We don't claim to know everything. But I will tell you one thing, and I will look straight in the frigging camera and tell you this. We are having the most fun of any independent sports podcast out there, and I will put that up against anybody. So fight me out there if you don't think that we're having a good time. Oh, without a doubt, man, without a doubt. And and that's just it too, right? We are, we're fathers. We both have full-time jobs. Um, unfortunately this is, this isn't paying the bills yet. Right. Um, so, uh, this is, this is just a, uh, it's a labor of love, right? I mean, this is a passion for both of us and it's, it's a way for us to, I guess, enjoy our friendship and and talk about something we're really passionate about, which is sports. And it's a nice, pleasant distraction from the daily grind, if you will, that fathers and mothers of parents alike and full-time employees go through. Right. And so, this is just, it's kind of an outlet for us. And we just hope that you enjoy it as much as we do. And talking about Father's Day and enjoying something uh, tremendously over Father's Day weekend, you know, I think I talked a little bit about how me and uh, my daughter, we were hanging back from going on the family trip to Milwaukee for my wife's nursing school stuff because she had a softball tournament. And we've talked a little bit about uh, her softball journey here on the show before. And so they had this tournament. I was, she was really excited to play in the tournament and I was excited to kind of be there with her and share that experience. And I tell you what, I mean, it delivered as far as like me enjoying spending time with her, uh, kind of feeding my own, you know, competitive uh, juices, if you will. But I, I saw it, you know, when I was coaching middle school, high school sports, you know, I saw plenty of like crazy parents and stuff. But this was my first like real experience with the crazy like little league parents. It was absolutely insane. And uh then the first day we were in like pool play. So yeah, you wanted to win, but like the stakes weren't quite as high yet. So people pretty well kept it together. Day two, we ended up in, you know, the gold bracket or whatever. And so now it's like, you got to win this thing in, in advance. And we're playing a team. And all of a sudden, like we get an inning or two in, a couple of runs are scored and things start heating up because um, it's a close game for a little while. And the part that one, that people were that, frustrated about it and getting that upset about 8U softball. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm competitive just by nature, but like, I'm not going to go out there. I don't care if it's the worst call in the world. I'm not going to yell at a 15-year-old kid who's umpiring. I'm not 
uh, going to scream at the kids for making a mistake. The people who piss me off are the crazy parents. And this other team we were playing, the stuff they were freaking out about is stuff that's like, it's against the rules. They don't know the rules. Like they, they are talking out of their ass entirely. They have no clue what they're talking about. And that's the part that I think bothered me the most. Like if you're going to make a stink the way they were, like at least know what you're talking about. At least be arguing for the right thing. But uh, I mean, these are people that just blatantly don't understand the simple rules of the game. And they're screaming at this poor 15-year-old girl who's trying to just go out there. And I mean, I'm sure she's making a few bucks or whatever, which is fine. And, you know, it's like they're trying to intimidate them into changing their call or making a different call. I mean, it was absurd, man. Like, absolutely nuts. If, if I may, I, I want to break this down a little bit because I think it's it's very fascinating. Number one, anybody who's not watched or listened, and you should have by now, but if you haven't, Coach is a very petty man. And he is not somebody who is above being that guy, if that makes sense. But you do have a line, and this apparently is that line, and I agree with you. And now the piece of context you didn't give me was that it was a 15-year-old girl who was umpiring this game. I assumed it was some poor 15-year-old teenager who was looking to, I mean, a guy who was making his way here. So it was a, a girl even worse, right? And it's a male coach, I assume, who was doing this, right? So yeah, that, that was in the second game. The second game was a 15-year-old boy. Um, and it was a male coach. I mean, the guy was older than me. I mean, this dude is probably in his uh, in his mid forties. I'd have to get at least um, at least an appearance. And uh, you know what happened there to give you some context is we are in the field when we're in the field. I'm in like the, the dugout against the fence. I'm right, basically parallel with the third baseline. Now, granted, you could argue I wasn't in a position to make a determination if this ball was fair or foul. But a girl for their team, she hit a nice. I mean, it was a line drive basically down the third baseline. And I saw the ball hit the ground and there was ball, dirt, white line, like obvious. I mean, it wasn't like you hit the line close. It wasn't like it was hit so hard you couldn't tell. I mean, this ball was 100% a foul ball. And this is this is my only gripe about the umpires. The same, the young girl and the young, the young man both had the same. Every umpire we had this year had the same uh, deficiency, I guess. And that is they don't make their calls with any conviction at all whatsoever. So like no one knew if it was a fair ball or foul ball and the poor umpire, they just stand out behind the pitcher. So they're theoretically not even in position to really see this and make an accurate call. But everybody just kind of like looks at the umpire, the poor kid. And he's just like, you know, foul. And the other team loses their minds. And this guy is going nuts. I mean, he's like screaming out at this kid and everything else. And that's what pisses me off. Cause I'm like, dude, all right, like you're mad. You could be like, Oh man, that's, Oh, that's a, fair ball or whatever drop it that you say that and then cut it off move on but he just keeps going on and he was acting as like the bat boy so every time one of their girls would bat he'd come out get the bat take it back to the dugout and for two or three girls in a row when he would come out he's running his mouth at this kid and like staring him down like he's gonna meet him in the parking lot after the game or something and i i had enough man like i couldn't take it anymore because it was so absurd and so he finally comes out and he's jawing at this kid. And I just scream. I'm like, that's enough. Give the kid a break. I'm like, I'm like, give the kid a break. Have a seat. Something along those lines. Um, and he just, you know, he looks. And I just was like pointed towards the gate for him to walk back out of the field. And he went and had a seat, you know. Uh, but it, it's like, I, I don't like people just lose their minds, I guess, when their kids start competing in things. And uh, I, I can't wrap my head around it because like don't get me wrong like there's times where calls are made there's calls that are bad that happened against us that were the wrong call it's just like in my mind i'm like god dang that sucks you know that was definitely we were definitely safe or they were out or whatever but life goes on 
you know, and what you don't realize is you're teaching your kids, you know, the example you're making for your children is terrible. You're not teaching them to handle any adversity. It's like, hey, if something happens you don't like, freak out, you know, and that's going to fix it. Well, for one, the vast majority of the time, it doesn't change anything. And uh, I'll give that kid kudos in this case because he didn't, he didn't change his call. He didn't back down to the person at all, which in the prior game with the young lady, there was a call where she let them talk her, she let them talk her into changing her call, which it happens, whatever life goes on. And, uh, but I don't like it, it when, but at any time something like that would happen for our team. Like if I'm at third base and a girl gets called out at third and maybe I thought she was safe. Like I don't even make eyes with the umpire. I'm just grabbing the girl. Hey, nice hustle. Good job. You know, pat her on the back of the head, send her to the dugout. And I tell the, you know, the girl that's playing third base, Hey, nice play. Number 12, you know, good job, whatever. It's just being positive. And, uh, like I said, inside I might be like, Oh, that sucks. You know, cause we were safe, but like, whatever. I mean, we, you can have those thoughts, but like the difference between a responsible freaking adult and parent that's trying to make a good, good example is you don't let those thoughts leave your mouth and behave like a moron. This person apparently struggled with that. The whole point of youth sports, at least in my opinion, is that you are teaching them something, right? Everybody's learning. In this particular case, you have the umpires learning, the kids are learning, the girls are learning, and of course the coaches are learning because none none of these coaches are professionals, right? There are no professional 8U softball coaches. Many of them are volunteers. They're dads of kids on the team, most of them. There are some leagues and such where you got guys who are looking to become coaches and they coach without a kid on the team or their kid is aged out and they still coach, right? And when I was in Little League, this was the fundamental way that we did sports. And we encountered a lot of this too. I remember some guy, because my father wanted there to be equity in terms of who played, and I was one of the kids who did play. And so it wasn't like I was the kid sitting on the bench. And he's like threatening to fight my father in the parking lot. And this is at a Little League meeting, right? And this is just insane. And that was 30 years ago. And this is a sad commentary because I think what you're talking about is also a sad commentary is this is how our country is today. And again, I don't want to make this a political statement. I think this is more about humanity than anything else. And we are teaching young people at every turn that if you don't like the way things are, just bitch and complain about it. And somehow it will be miraculously fixed. And that's not the right attitude. I think the way that you're doing it, saying good hustle, good game, right, good play, because they're learning sportsmanship. They're learning how all of this works. And as you get older, the more competitive it becomes. And that makes sense. And it's just a really a sad thing because this the 15-year-old girl, the 15-year-old boy who are umpiring, this is going to discourage them from wanting to continue. And that's not what you want. It may actually discourage some parents from having their kids participate in this league because they see this bullshit and they're like, I don't want my son or daughter a part of this because this isn't just eight under softball. This is all over the place. This is youth soccer. This is Little League. This is peewee football. It's all over the place. And what you have are parents trying to live vicariously through their children at the youngest of ages. And it should never be that way. And when you told me this story, I just put myself in your shoes and I would have done the same thing. But also I tried to put myself as you in this situation. And that made me laugh out loud because I thought this is a tame way that he handled this. Normally, I feel like he would be fighting the guy in the parking lot. No, I would never go. I would never do that. Um, I would never do that to my daughter, right, or son when his time comes. I would never put them in that position. Um, and if I do, then someone needs to tell me it's time for me to just not be involved because that's unacceptable. Um, and really, truthfully, as funny as it is and whatever that I, I guess you could say, confronted the guy, um, I really I really shouldn't even have done that. Because in a way, it's like I was almost giving 
you know, drawing more attention to what he was doing. And, and it's not my, it wasn't my job. I'm not the umpire. I'm not a league administrator or anything like that. It's not my job to do that. That's not my place to do that. And, uh, but I mean, so that's a deal where maybe I didn't exhibit the most self-control in the world. No, I didn't, I didn't cuss at the guy. I didn't scream like a maniac. I just basically told him to shut his mouth and have a seat, leave the kid alone. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, not not maybe my proudest moment, but I feel like I'm just one of those people like someone, the reason people behave like that is because no one calls them out on it. Like someone needs to call them out and tell them to shut up. This is absurd. That's exactly what I was going to say, is that you're not giving credence to this behavior. You're pointing it out in a way that's healthy to say like, this is unacceptable. And I think that, that there's nothing wrong with that. And I think you did the right thing. And you talk about self-control or restraint. You could have gone way more overboard. You called the guy out in a very adult fashion and you called out the adult, right? And again, these are kids we're talking about here. And so you need, somebody needs to stand up for them too, because that kid, the umpire, the both of them, they're, they're kids, they have parents too. I'm sure that their parent would have been happy that somebody finally stood up for them if they even knew that this was happening, right? Who knows? We don't know if their parents were there. I think you did the right thing because I think in today's world, we should always do the right thing as often as possible. And if we're not striving for that, then our society is headed down this cliff of disaster because without rules, there are there's chaos. And in this particular case with kids, I think you need to be the moral barometer, especially for your daughter, right? Your daughter is at a point where she is still so young in this world that she hasn't been posed with a lot of the situations you and I have where you got to figure out what the right thing to do is. And sometimes it takes somebody showing them that example. And I think you're doing the right thing. And I think as fathers, we have to strive for that. And it's not always easy, man. It, it just isn't. And, and parenthood is hard. Fatherhood is hard. Motherhood is hard. And I say God bless a lot of the parents that are doing it by themselves because it's really, really tough. But Father's Day was was good for, for me. And as you know, you know, I'm down here in South Carolina. I'm on the road here. And I just want to say this show travels, man, like a traveling softball team. INC Sports, Iceman and Coach Travel. So I was really happy to be down here visiting with the in-laws, having some more family time. It's summertime, man. This is what you got to do. You got to go down south, enjoy this weather. And I packed up everything to come down here. And hopefully if you've ever watched the show, you see this is way different. But it's kind of nice to be in new digs and, and be able to keep this show rolling. So what do you say, man, we talk about some sports? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I'm happy you had a great Father's Day. I uh, enjoyed some time with your father took took your son up there and, and just had a three generation Father's Day, which is fantastic. And it sounds like you're uh, in the midst of another great week with family. So, um, but yeah, let's let's do what we came here for, man, and, and talk about some uh, some big boy sports, right? Hundred percent. Now, I couldn't get my father to subscribe to YouTube, so we're still stuck at our subscriber number. But you know what? There is time for that. So, you and I always talk about topics that are more general. You and I, I don't think, are experts in any sport, and one of the ways in which we have created and constructed the show is so that we're not that. So there were some trades that happened in the NBA that really got me to thinking about athletes and how all of the paradigm of sports works. And I think that every single season, no matter what sport it is that you watch, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, players get traded all the time. And I think we see that as how is it going to benefit or hurt my club, whatever side of the equation that you're on, you think of it that way. But in the NBA, Chris Paul, I'm sure you're familiar with him. He's been in the league for a long time. He got traded twice in one week. He got traded from the Suns to the Wizards and then the Wizards to the Golden State Warriors. And I don't remember which one of these trades he found out on an airplane, but 
he found out mid-flight on the way to Good Morning America. And I think this happens a lot, where with our social media presence and the, the news cycle being so fast, these players are finding out before their clubs are even telling them. And I wanted to talk about that and, and maybe see if we can chew some, some fat here on this because it's an interesting thing to think about in our jobs. Like if you and I were out doing something for our job or representing our job and we found out that we were traded to some other company, but our boss didn't tell us that, we found out on social media, we found out in the news. And I think it's interesting. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that and how you would actually handle this if you were the athlete in this case. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that I see it from a few different perspectives. The one is that you should hear it directly from a member of the organization. That's the way these things should happen. Uh, what prevents that from happening is, like you mentioned, with the, the news media cycle and social media, and you have the with with the nature of that these days, you have these reporters who always want to be the first with the scoop, right? And the second they get any sort of, even if they don't have hard confirmation they're running with these stories right um the days of i think the days of where you tell someone like hey this is what's going to happen but let me let me handle it first and then and you can report on it after that like those days are gone right I, I don't think that that exists anymore in most cases uh because everyone wants to be the first one to break a story on the other hand from the athlete perspective while that sucks and you know we talked a while back about some of the scheduling and how it's hard on families uh, which it is. I think that you could also look at the way these guys are compensated, though, and say, you know what, like, that's the trade-off, right? Um, you're paid millions of dollars to play this game. The trade-off is the fact that you could have your entire life, you know, and that might be a little dramatic, but your entire life uprooted, moved to a city on the other side of the country in the snap of a finger, or released for that matter. I mean, there, there's a number of things you could be forced to play on Thanksgiving and Christmas Day and your kids' birthdays and all these other uh, important family events that may pop up or life events. But again, the trade-off is, and not in all cases, but in many cases, the trade-off is millions of dollars. I don't know. I think with every job anywhere, you got to take the good with the bad, right? We all do that. I think whenever, whenever someone, I think, comes on like changing jobs, whenever you're considering leaving a company or whatever, yeah, you look at the things like, you know, um, the hours, the salary, the benefits, but then you have to also look at the, what are the things, what are like the, the things that you can't account for that you have as a part of this job, right? That maybe you wouldn't get away with or have at this other job. Maybe it's, you know, the, the coveted flexibility or whatever, you know, whatever else, other little odd intangible things there are that exist at your current job that wouldn't exist at others. And yeah, that's the kind of way I look at jobs like you and I have, you think about them in that fashion where, when it comes to pro athletes, like I said, the salary, the stardom, um, obviously the exposure gives you opportunity for endorsement deals, everything else. Apparently being a professional athlete um, qualifies you to be a, uh, a political and world expert on things. So uh, th there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of benefits that come from being a, a pro athlete. And I think that's just the trade-off, man. You got to take the good with the bad. There's bad with every, every job everywhere. And that just happens to be one of the downsides of being a pro athlete. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, the other side of that coin, and when we did the draft a couple of years ago, we had a guy, Myron, who was on with us, and he's trained a lot of guys like Stefan Diggs and Vernon Davis in the NFL. And he talked about how when guys are drafted or traded, how much of an uprooting it is in terms of their lifestyle. And think about a young kid coming out of college, and he used the kid from Mississippi State. Where is Mississippi State? Starkville, Mississippi, right? Some 
super small college town in the middle of a state that not many people live in or know much about unless you're from that area of the country. And then he gets drafted by the LA Rams and he's out to LA, right? And he's got to find a place to live. He's got to find out where he's going to get all of his groceries. He's got to basically reroute himself to another area. And I understand it's, it's inherent to the job, but there are certain aspects of it that are difficult. And when you get traded mid-season or in the middle of a tenure in a place, you become accustomed to living somewhere. Now, Chris Paul is a veteran athlete, so he knows this comes with it. It's part and parcel with being an NBA star. He's been traded numerous times before. This is not a big deal for him. But a lot of these young guys who are trying to make it somewhere, and then they get traded. And this is their next chance to try and make it. And I think about all of the things that come with having to uproot yourself. You know, you and I live in the same area. We live in a stable place, right? We're probably not going to be told that we have to go somewhere else. And now people do have this in their job, military and other types of jobs like that. And I just think that this part of it is fascinating. And I wanted to get your thoughts on guys like Victor Wembanyama, who got drafted number one overall in the NBA draft. He's coming from France and he's going to be playing in San Antonio, Texas, completely different. And that has to be difficult. And I think that we don't take that into account enough when we then place expectations on these players. So when they get drafted or traded to your team, they're seen as you're going to help this club. And we kind of forget about a lot of that stuff. We don't talk enough about it. So I wanted to bring it here and talk about it because I get it, what you're saying. It's part of it. You get paid a lot of money. Not all of them get paid the big bucks, though. I mean, they get paid more than we do, but they don't get paid the big, 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 big bucks. Like they're not Chris Paul who's set for life. They are trying to make it or let's say in baseball. They're minor leaguers. They're getting paid like 38 grand. And then they have to go play in some other bumfuck city somewhere and try and make the big club. I think it's just something we need to recognize a little bit more. And these trades made me think about that. Sure. The people that it happens to the most are probably those that you're talking about, like the league minimum guy, right? The journeyman that is the 10th, 11th guy on a bench that's been on 15 different teams. Those are probably the guys that happens to the most, and it would have the most serious impact on those guys because of their financial situation. And, you know, those guys are just scrapping to stay on a roster most of the time. But at the end of the day, like, it's not, it's not like this was, I don't know how if you would say, what I want to say is it's not like this is their only option in life to um, generate an income, right? And make a living. They could have chosen to do something else. Um, I mean, because it's not like this catches people. It shouldn't catch people off guard. You kind of know what you're signing up for when you get into this kind of thing. Now, that doesn't make it easy, though, either. And I'll, I'll say that. So I, I don't want to come across as too crass about it. But Yes, you do. <laughs> Grow up, whiners. Yeah, boomer. But shouldn't they find out from the teams, though? Like, th- yes. this, this thing with breaking news, like, I respect Adam Schefter. I respect Adrian Wojnarowski for what they do. They have contacts within the league, and they've been doing this for a long time. But this need to be first. Like, I guess in my mind, what does Adam Schefter benefit from being first out with some of this news? To the detriment of whatever player it is that's on the other end of it. And I just, that that part of it, I don't really understand in today's world. And I guess it's because the, the news stream moves so fast. So we get our news at the drop of a hat. Like today, when I'm scrolling through Twitter trying to figure out what we're going to talk about, I see this whole NFL gambling thing. And I'm like, it moves so fast that this will be old news by the time we record about it because I don't want to talk about it this week. You know what I mean? Like, it'll be like, oh, we forget about that and move on. And I think that the team should be the one telling them. But I, I don't know how that works, man. How do you think that that works? Do you think that the team has made this decision? It goes down to the league office and some mole in the league office tells 
one of these reporters and they report out on it before the team can even have a chance? Or is it really an orchestrated dance between these teams? And they don't really care about telling the player. They're fine with the player finding out via social media or via the news. My assumption's always been that they these guys have sources within the organization, you know. So in Chris Paul's case, like you wouldn't even have to have a source within what pushed what he was trading what twice in a week or something you said. You wouldn't even have to have a source with whoever was trading him. I mean, it could be from who he's getting traded to, right? I mean, it could be a source there that lets the cat out of the bag, I guess. And and you kind of ask like what's the point of being first? I think in today's age, it's well, hey, like um, Adam Schefter, like, why are we paying you if so-and-so reporter is always breaking the story first? Well, we don't need you anymore because the story is already out there, you know? And so I think maybe it's a deal with website traffic and things like that. It generates, you know, the clicking the link, going to the page, that whole deal, uh, being the first to, to capitalize on that initial wave of, of traffic. And so if you're not, I, I, I would guess that from guy one to guy two, number one and number two in these cases, that the difference in traffic it generates is probably substantial, possibly. And and that may be all the difference. That may be all it takes. You know, if Schefter's not out there getting the scoop before everybody else, then you're going to get rid of him and you're going to go pay the guy that's got the more the most sources, you know, pay him to come do it for you. Which is what we're setting ourselves up for when some of these big time sports podcasts and sports shows, you know, end up retiring, we're going to take over. But this wasn't something we were planning on talking about, but I just thought of it as you were you were talking about this. But we hear a lot about these players who falter because they never really adjust to the lifestyle of playing pro sports. And this really is more for players that get handed a lot of money. They come from nothing and they get handed a lot of money instantly and they fizzle out in the league because the lifestyle hits them like a ton of bricks. Do you think that the leagues do enough or the teams themselves individually do enough to teach these kids, and a lot of times they are kids, how to basically become a celebrity and live the pro sports life? Or do you think that that's something much like in our education system, but we're not preparing athletes for, and we're not preparing kids for either on what the real world is going to be like? Do you think that that needs to be addressed more within these leagues, or, or are they doing a good enough job as it is? Um, I, I don't know. I know that they do. I know like in the NFL, at least, that they have, you know, kind of, education courses they give to these rookies and things about trying to manage their money and stuff like that. To what extent, for how long, I have no idea. But I have a question for you, okay? If you walked up right now on the street to an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old, let's just leave it there, 18, 19, 20-year-old kid, and said, uh, try to tell them anything, what are the chances that that person's going to listen to you? Let alone if that person's got $10 million in their bank account that they didn't have yesterday. No, that's a good point. I mean, that particular demographic in, in age bracket is notoriously stubborn. I mean, think about the two of us at 18 to 20. Like, what would happen if we were told something that we didn't want to hear or that maybe didn't fall in line with what we want out of our life? And you're you're right. I'm I'm not saying that the players or the kids aren't responsible for receiving the message and that but it was just, I wondered if the leagues were doing enough because it is a big transition and there's a lot of things that come with it. And I'm talking about financial responsibility, making sure that people don't steal your money. You hear a lot of stories about that. These kids getting taken advantage of. And a lot of these kids don't really have the role model or the structure to know whether this is something that they should be watching out for. And that's all that I'm saying is like, the league has some responsibility, whether it's notifying their players of getting traded or notifying their players of 
of things that they need to watch out for when they come in the league. I think that it is helpful, especially if you're coming from a completely different culture, which is why Wemby, as we're going to call him, because that name is way too long to pronounce multiple times in the same show. And he's coming from France to San Antonio, in which they've had multiple international players, right? So the Spurs, Greg Popovich, are uniquely qualified to handle that especially since they had Tony Parker, who was from France. So it's easier transition because they've set that thing up. Not a lot of other teams do that. I would venture a guess that the New York Jets probably don't give a shit about where you're from. They just want you to play, which is why that team perennially sucks, because they don't do a lot of the soft skills to actually help their players out. But I digress. Uh, shots fired at Oak Cleve. Shots fired. Uh, no, 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 no. Not, no, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. Uh, not at Cleve, my man. Okay, Cleve is not a member of the New York Jets. He does not. Cleve's team. It is Cleve's team, but he has said these things before. He knows this. If you're a Jets fan, you know this. You know that you can't trust your team. Stu Gotts on the Dan Levitard show always says, I hate them because they never do the right thing. So they're an example of an organization that maybe doesn't take those things seriously, but Let's move on from the serious stuff. Let's talk LSU. Are you are you ready to talk the LSU Tigers? <laughs> of course I am, right? One of the most, in my opinion, dysfunctional yet highly successful universities in the country. That is exactly how I want to steamroll into this segment. So LSU has been interesting this year. We covered them when they were in the national championship for women's college basketball. Now they won, remember? And we talked about that controversy with Caitlin Clark in Iowa and all that good stuff. Well, they had themselves a weekend by the men's baseball team winning the College World Series. Note who won that because it will come up again later. And obviously that's a great feat. They played Florida, who Florida had looked good coming in, and the bats just came on fire, which lends itself to what you said, is that in baseball specifically, sometimes the bats just get hot and you can't stop a team. So those are two great things. They win the national championship in two sports. Well, this past week, a, a name that I hadn't heard in a while came up, Les Miles. And I'm sure when he was in his heyday, the Mad Hatter was your kind of coach. I've never been like a big Les Miles fan. Really? Man. I really haven't. Yeah. He always, I, I always found him just kind of strange, you know, the tune on the grass and stuff like that. Just weird, man. Like I just, he's kind of seemed like he's intense at some times. There are times he kind of seemed like this all shucks sort of guy. I think, I don't know, not never, I've never been a big LSU fan. And so maybe that's a big part of it. But uh, yeah, never cared a whole lot for uh, less money. No, I think I know what it is. I think that you cannot live in a world in which two Mike Leeches exist because that basically is the kind of stuff that Mike Leach used to do. I don't even think these guys are in the same stratosphere. You know, Mike Leach is is on a, he is on his own pedestal um, and always will be. But that's the key. That's the key, though, is that he's on his own pedestal. So when somebody comes along who shows some of the behaviors, the eccentric behaviors of a guy like Mike Leach, it somehow triggers you because you're like, no, 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 this I will not stand for. And they're coaching in a university that I just already can't stand. So it's like two things happening. And we should say rest in peace, Mike Leach, because the man no longer with us. So he is on a pedestal for this show forever. But Les Miles had an interesting week also because LSU got in trouble for some things that happened back in 2012 to 2015. He was famously the coach for them, I think, gosh, maybe like 2008 to 2016, I don't remember. It was a long enough tenure in which he was there and made an impact. And he had to vacate 37 wins recently because of some things that happened back in 2012 and 2015. There's multiple things I wanna bring up about this because It makes him ineligible for the College Football Hall of Fame, so that'll make you happy. 
because you have to have at least 100 wins in or have coached 100 games and have a winning percentage of 600. And because he vacated 37 wins, he now has less than a 600 winning percentage. But all of this stuff with vacating wins, I've never quite understood it by the NCAA. It's never made a lot of sense to me. And I understand that you have to bring down punishment when people break the rules. And you're a, a steadfast believer in that. You've said that about gambling, right? If you break the rules, the punishment should be swift and severe. But in this case, vacating wins, like we all saw that stuff happen. Just because a record book says it didn't happen didn't doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I, I never quite understood that. I want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, gambling, gambling opens the door too much for someone doing something on the field to change the outcome of a game um, in their favor. This stuff, I don't know if this is the NCAA's attempt to like remind the rest of us that they still do exist. I personally, I think they're one of the most poorly run organizations um, in sports. And at this point, if you want to dig deep enough anywhere at any of these major universities, you're you're, going to find stuff like this. You're going to find people getting paid or whatever else, getting cars, getting whatever. I don't know. Uh, Promises, parents getting jobs, you know, the Reggie Bush stuff that went down. Like, it's stupid. Reggie Bush should have the highest. I agree. Like, it's the dumbest thing ever. Um, I think this is so it's so stupid. The Fab Five, like vacating the championship, or whatever the final, it's stupid. I mean, and hey, I don't those guys. I'm not a fan of the way those guys went about what they did. They were great. They were great at what they did. They were great on the basketball floor, and that's what earns these accolades, not whatever happens off the floor. So this is one of those ca- this is one of those cases where yes, I understand what the rules are, but to go back, you know, ten years especially when it was happening in an era where it was happening everywhere. It was like the Wild West, right? Um, yeah, sure, NILs made things crazy, but at least it's all on the table now. And back then, it was all happening. It's just people pretended it didn't. Um, you know, just everybody flying their flag of amateurism, right? And it's it's just such a waste of time and resources. It's absolutely absurd. And I really think it's only a matter of time before especially in relation to college football, before the NCAA basically becomes obsolete and irrelevant. That's around the corner. And you and I talked about that. The very first time we recorded, we talked about this, or at least we alluded to it, that the NCAA needed to to stay relevant. But when I think about this, I think about going back 10 years, and it reminds me of when people go back in somebody's social media feed to find something weird that they said from 10 years ago, and you don't put any contents. Look, the reason that these wins are being vacated on the football side is because there was one guy who was ineligible. They knew he was ineligible and they didn't report it until 2018. So I get it. And he was taking payments and there was a lot of other things happening. I understand that under the veil of amateurism, which is something that, as you pointed out, they fly like a flag as if it actually means something when we all know it doesn't. And they're making it more and more known every day that it doesn't matter with NIL and the transfer portal. It's becoming more and more like a pro league. It's an, it's an asinine to me to go back and vacate something that is so far in the past now. And who does it hurt? You know what I mean? Like at this point, what is it hurting to have it stand that way? Because we all saw Les Mile play those games or his team play those games and those kids earned that. So now, because one thing happened in which they didn't have any control over, now they lose out. They lose out of these things. And that part of it really bothers me because... In football specifically, they're taking such a risk being out there. The sport is violent. And the universities at that time didn't give them anything. 
And you can come at me and tell me that they get an education, whatever, right? We all know that it doesn't work the same way as it does for other people who go to school on scholarship. It's not the same. The universities see them as a means to an end, and they have. I don't care what these coaches say. I don't care how much they say they care about them. The university, as a general concept, sees those players as a cash cow. You cannot tell me that's different. And so now what we're doing is we're just going to find ways in which the NCAA can pull down the iron fist and say, look at us, we still have power. And you know what? That time is fleeting because they're not going to have a goddamn thing to do when this becomes a semi-pro league. They're just not. No, it, it, it's ridiculous. And what I want to know, right? So he is, did, so can he not make the Hall of Fame? I saw the story, I just don't recall the details. Is Les Miles not qualified for the Hall of Fame because he is now below what they consider to be like the win total? I think you have had to have coached 100 games total and have a winning percentage of 600 or better. And because of these vacated wins now, his winning percentage dropped to like 560 or something. So what? So when they vacate these wins, do they give these wins to their opponents? From what I read today, and again, forgive me if I read this wrong, it's happened before on the show, but apparently in the record books, LSU was winless in those seasons. Okay. So, but I mean, so if they're winless, does that mean that the team's does it just go to base? Is it just basically vanish from existence yes. or does the opponent get the win? Okay. So say, what if you were some guy, right? That was coaching some team that LSU played against and you had coached, you know, you had met basically all the other criteria to be a potentially hall of fame coach, but you were missing the winning percentage or whatever by one game. Right. And now here you are 10 years later, you get that game. I love you calling the league offices, <laughs> trying to get your wins. Look, right. man, hey, I hey, lost to West Miles four times. Can I get that? Because I'll be eligible. I don't make I'll be it, in. but I'll be in, right? I'll hey. be in. <sighs> Again, I, I understand that rules exist, but that part of it too is kind of silly because you talked to Reggie Bush and Reggie Bush earned that Heisman. You're not going to tell me any different, right? I saw him carve up those defenses. I saw him carve up Virginia Tech in the opening game of the season that year. It was a bludgeoning. We couldn't stop him. He had like three or four touchdowns. He was legit. He was the real deal that year. And just because his mom got a job or got a car, it didn't change anything that he did on the football field. And people will say he shouldn't have been out there. Whatever. He earned it. He earned it physically out there on that field. He made the sacrifices. And Vince Young was like, I don't want the Heisman because they tried to give it to him. They tried to give Vince Young the Heisman <laughs> after the fact. And it's like, no, he won that Heisman. Yeah. So many things about this are absurd. As much as I hate LSU, yeah, that's right. I said it. As much as I hate LSU, this is unfair. You could probably you could probably convince me to at least be accepting of the idea that the team that the team wins or whatever should be vacated because you could say um they were unfairly recruited. Or what you know, I, I could see where you could connect the dots and you could probably get me to at least acknowledge that it's a reasonable punishment. But the individual awards don't make sense at all because Reggie Bush was gonna be a Heisman caliber football player no matter where he played, right? So the fact that he got recruited to USC with gifts and promises and cash and everything else is irrelevant to what he actually did on the field. It did not give him a competitive advantage on the field. Now, if his offensive line was playing with like brass knuckles on or something, then yeah, you could argue that they had a competitive advantage and vacate the wins and everything else. It's so absurd. <laughs> I know, but that's that's it's just as absurd as what they're they're doing, right? Uh, uh, basically, insinuating that by him getting these gifts or whatever, that 
you know, he needs to be punished by not being officially acknowledged as the best player in college football that year. Um, as if that had anything to do with what happened on the field. And it did not. Not well, not one bit, man. Not one bit. That is great. I, I, the Brass Knuckle League needs to be started. We need to see what this looks like. The California Penal League, maybe. Something like that, where you have the Brass Knuckle League. But before we get into the end of the show, man, we talk gambling. And I know you have a stance on this, and we talked about it. But it looks like the NFL is going to be very iron-fisted with this. And they're going to be swift with their punishments and they seem to have put out some rules, and I think there's a litany of players that are going to get year-long suspensions. One of them happens to be a cult, by the way, who I believe is your kickoff returner. I'm not sure how much of a, an impact that's going to have. But so far, any, none of the big-name players have been named, but we hypothesized that the league wouldn't do it, that they wouldn't, or I think, I thought we did. I thought maybe you said that they would, but I think that we both said if it was a guy like Mahomes, like, just kind of sweep it under the rug because... They don't want that kind of publicity. The NFL wants to look good, but they'll nail all these guys. So apparently these are the rules. The six quote-unquote key rules of gambling. Don't bet on the NFL is number one. I think that's obvious. Don't gamble at the team facility while traveling for a road game or staying at a team hotel. Okay, number three, don't have somebody bet for you. Okay, so how the hell would you put a bet in then? I don't know how you stop that, yeah. Don't share team, quote, inside information. Well, what the fuck does that mean? Is that like sharing the playbook? Is that like, hey, we're going to run this scheme this week? Like Injuries and yeah. maybe if someone's sick, crap like that. That's like going out of your way. So like you're in deep if you're giving inside information at that point. Number five, don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season, okay? And number six, don't play daily fantasy football. Now that one I think is interesting because that's what, like the most popular thing going right now in gambling. Is it really? Oh, it has to be. I mean. Yeah, maybe so. It has to be, but. These guys, I think, you're going to see a lot more of this. The NFL is trying to be more, quote-unquote, clear in what the rules are, but you ain't going to stop this. Like, gambling, oh. sports gambling is, like, the biggest thing going right now. Those are some pretty simple rules to follow, though, right? Um, I agree. And it's it's a fair trade, I think. I mean, like, if you work at a casino, you can't gamble at that casino. Um, it's, uh, you know. Really? Tough one. Yeah. I did not know that. I, I'm not a gambler at all. Yeah, and I, I only know that because back uh, about 15 years ago, I had a short stint in my, I wasn't even 21 yet, so it was a long time, long, almost 20 years ago, shit. I worked, there's a casino in Peoria, East Peoria, whatever, on the river. It's a riverboat casino, and I actually worked there in the deli for a little while. And yeah, that was one of the things in orientation they tell you. Yeah, if you work there, I want to say that... Um, I might be incorrect with this, but they are, they're like, the, this particular casino is owned by Boyd Gaming. And so the Boyd Gaming owns casinos in Vegas, everywhere else. I thought it was like you couldn't gamble at any Boyd Gaming uh, casino. Um, I don't even think it was just the local one. It might have been any at all. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a, I would imagine that's a universal rule uh, that if you, you know, if you're a blackjack dealer, you can't come in when you're off and sit down and play blackjack. And so I don't know. I, I think those are reasonable rules. Um, like I said, there's things like this that exist in jobs everywhere. It's supposed to like insider trading, right? It exists. Not that it doesn't happen, but there's there's rules in other professions that are similar. I don't know how you're going to police some of it. Like I don't know how you're going to police if somebody like gives their buddy a hundred bucks and says, "Hey, go put go put twenty dollars on the other team," or "Go put a hundred bucks on the other team today," whatever, because uh, we suck. I'm just laughing because I'm imagining a 17 year old coach at training for a deli, and you're like. What, I can't gamble here? I just want to make some fucking sandwiches. Like, I, th th that part makes me laugh because it's, like, in the orientation <laughs> manual. Well, it's, uh, the orientation was, like, 
it was a group of like 20 people that were being hired for various positions at the casino. So it was, it was a catch all, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I, I wasn't even old enough to gamble there. So yeah, it didn't did apply to me. That's fantastic. I'm just, uh, man, I, sometimes I wish we can go back in time and like relive some of these things that we had to go through because that's great. I was not aware of that, but nothing much more to add about that because we've talked about gambling before. And I think that we'll see this over time. And I think the next time that we will talk about it in depth will be if a big player ever gets nailed. And I, I just feel like that's got to happen or the NFL is going to be faced with that particular decision at some point. And we'll see. They're inconsistent about how they dole out justice, as we know, with Lamar Jack, I mean, with Deshaun Watson, right, and all that stuff. So time will tell on that. But you know what? We got one more thing to do. OTW of the week. Every single time Coach and I are together, we like to have a little bit of fun and add our personal flair to this. We always start with Iceman Stat of the Week. Coach, are you ready, man? I can't wait, man. I've been waiting uh, two weeks for uh, for a good stat that I can sit there and chew on. I think this one is pretty good. So Shohei Otani had quite a night last night, and he pitched against the Chicago White Sox. He had two home runs, and he pitched and had 10 strikeouts. Now, at one point in the game, Mr. Otani was up against the second highest home run leader in the American League with 22. Do you know who the home run leader in the American is American League is currently? Do not, but I feel like this is like a trick question. It would be Shohei Otani. So the league leader in home runs faced the second guy in home runs and struck him out, by the way. So this is what Shohei Otani is doing. And I'm using this as a plug because just today we put out the second episode of Flashing the Leather with my boy Jonesy, where we talked very in-depth about the Shohei Otani-Mike Trout thing. I sent you a little bit of a clip offline this morning, and I got rarely passionate and showed a little bit of conviction in this. But I thought that was funny because, like, you just can't make that shit up, right? Shohei Otani is so good and is revolutionizing the game that he is striking out 10 guys, hitting two home runs leading the league in batting categories and pitching categories. And yet the Angels are middling around 500. It's funny because what pops into my head when you're sitting there talking about this is, you know, I grew up playing baseball and stuff. If you were, uh, you know, the pitcher was batting, you hear people say, oh, come on, help yourself out a little bit here. You know, it's the same thing. You know, he's out there on the so bump. True. It's like, help yourself out a little bit here, man. Uh, so true. I can hear my dad saying that. Yeah, help yourself out a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, so. just like put the bat on the ball. Like all we're asking for is a little bit of contact here because most of this. Ugh. There are so many of those phrases in baseball, right? Put the bat on the ball, things like that. Tons of them. Tons of them. As always, it is time for Coach's Pick of the Week. The last time we were here, the coach made a prediction. Now, earlier we talked about the LSU Tigers winning the College World Series. Well, that is directly correlated to Coach's Pick of the Week because Coach predicted that the TCU Horn Frogs, who he predicted the week prior to lose to the Indiana State Sycamores, were going to win the College World Series. However, they did not. They almost did. They almost made it to the final. And that makes Coach a very paltry two and eight. The streak continues. You have now lost seven in a row. So coach, it is time to redeem yourself. Please bless us with another picketh of the week. <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye. I just want to know if any of you out there have seen such excellence in picks uh, to go seven in a row the way that I have done. 
uh, takes true skill <laughs> and expertise. Um, you may think going into this week uh, with all going on in the world uh, in professional or college sports is uh, baseball, right? That I'm going to be stuck picking a meaningless Major League Baseball game. But I say nay. Um, I come to you with a new sport this week um, to the Iceman and Coach Show. And so we're going to go. We're Gentlemen, start your engines, I should say. We're going to the world of NASCAR. That's right. The uh, Chicago Grant Park 220 is happening this weekend. It is a road race. And um, I'm going to pick Chase Elliott to win the Grant Park 220. He is entering this with two consecutive top five finishes. He is due. I think road races open up all possibilities. It really puts your driving skills to the test. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever someone who actually knows shit about this would say. But... Nonetheless, at the end of the day, I'm picking Chase Elliott, and I think he drives the number nine Napa car, if I'm not mistaken. I hope I'm wrong because it would be tremendous. But Chase Elliott it is for the big win this weekend in Chicago. Chase Elliott, and for your weekly reminder, whenever Coach says you should pick something, 100% do not pick it. And I think this pick couldn't be more indicative of that to win whatever the NASCAR race is and driving whatever car it is that he drives Coach. So let it be written. So let it be done. That couldn't be a more out of my wheelhouse pick that you're making there. And now I have to somehow fit it on the damn graphic next week. Chase Elliott to win, blah, 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 blah. I'm just going to put it at two and nine because it's basically Chase Elliott or the field in a race. And that's like a crapshoot. That's a great pick by you. I love these odds. I love these odds. I freaking pumped about it. What is it that Han Solo said? Don't ever tell me the odds. And that seems to be you right now. That's right. So I, I did a little bit of research. And by research, I mean like 45 seconds of research. <laughs> um, he's at like plus 700 to win it. So that's that's not, sorry, those aren't great odds. I mean, in the world of sports, but in NASCAR, I mean, even the favorite is at plus a few hundred odds, which isn't, again, like those are they're kind of long shot odds because it, it is that one person against the field. There's so many alternatives. So yeah, I don't know, man. I, I decided to uh, take a deep dive into the world of motorsports. Well, congrats to you. So we've reached the end of the show, my man. Uh, it's a good time. I definitely am happy that we made the time to do this and that I dragged all this friggin' equipment down here so that we could do it because, you know, so the show must go on sometimes. But uh, do you have any parting thoughts for our loyal viewers and listeners? Yeah, enjoy uh, enjoy some NASCAR this weekend. Um, hope all of you fathers had a great Father's Day last weekend and uh, or I guess that was not even two weekends ago. Hell, I don't know, man. It's been so long. Um, no, just it's a real pleasure doing this as always. And I love more and more subscribers coming in. I love the fact that you guys are interacting with us um, on YouTube and TikTok and places like that. It makes it a ton of fun. Uh, keep doing it, good, bad, or otherwise. We're here for it, man. So I hope everyone has a good week. Um, Iceman, I hope you have a great week with your family. And that's about all I got for today. Excellent. Well, before we get you out of here, first of all, forgot to mention, mention this earlier in the show, but if you have a take or you want to make a comment about the show, you can always call or text the show. The number for that is area code 703-718-6314. It is scrolling at the bottom of this video and you can find it in the show notes for all of you listening in the audio space. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit like and subscribe, all that good stuff. It's not mandatory. It's just very, very helpful. If you want to find us on social media, Twitter and IG, at Iceman and Coach are the handles to do that. We're not super active on there, but hey, every once in a while, you might be able to get a nugget like right now 
you might be able to find my clip of Shohei Otani and Mike Trout a little bit before that episode comes out. If you're listening on Apple and Spotify, for those audio listeners, don't forget to hit follow, rate, review, all that good stuff. It helps us keep charting and growing and all that. And of course, the Pub Time Podcast, you want to make sure to support them. And of course, MattyIceMedia.com for the Matty Ice Media Network podcast, such as Fire Footwear and this show. Everybody, I hope that this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe, Coach. Until next week, it may be the 4th of July. It may be the 5th of July. This is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.